Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for episode 44 of Infraction, our true crime podcast. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. And today's case is set in New York in the US and starts with a woman named Alice Trapler. Alice grew up in a wealthy family in the hamlet of Beaver Dams in upstate New York. Her family had large farming, construction and logging businesses and the Trapler farm was known to almost everyone in the semi-rural community. There was a class divide of sorts between the Trapler family and the other people who lived in the town. Alice Trapler was smart and well-educated and very pretty. The people in the town said that she could have had her pick of any of the men that she met, which is why many were shocked when she chose to marry Thomas Wesley Borden in 2002 after less than six months of dating. At the time of their wedding, Alice was 29 and Thomas Wesley Borden, who went by the name Wes, was only 22. Wes was a labourer who worked for the Trapler family's logging business and he had two daughters with his previous partner. Alice took on the role of co-parenting Wes's two young daughters and the couple seemed to be happily married for a few years despite the differences that everyone else saw in them. Then, rumours started circulating that Alice was sleeping with other men in town and after four years of marriage, Alice told Wes that she wanted a divorce. Wes moved out of Alice's home and the couple did divorce, but he continued to message her and ask for her back. He truly believed that one day he and Alice would get there happily ever after. Do we know if she was being unfaithful? Yes, yes she was. Okay. Alice didn't see it that way though, and she didn't believe that there was a happily ever after between them, so she continued to see other men. Alice got into another serious relationship with a man named Dan Bennett. Dan was older than Alice's ex-husband Wes, but he was very similar to Wes in other ways. Dan was also from a family much less wealthy than Alice's family, and he had a bad boy reputation that Alice loved. Alice and Dan started a serious relationship, but their passion and personalities clashed regularly. They would go from having passionate, lustful moments, to throwing things at each other and having blazing rows. Because of their very hot and cold relationship, the couple never formally moved in with each other. Instead, Dan would work during the week and go home to his house which he shared with his father, and then stay with Alice at her goat ranch on the weekends. (laughs) I've never heard of goat ranch before, just the idea of it makes me laugh. (laughs) Is it relevant that they're goats, or could it just be a ranch? No, it's actually not relevant to the story at all, but I just wanted everyone to hear how many different farms this girl had. (laughs) (laughs) So this setup seemed to work well for Alice and she liked that she really only had to pay attention to Dan on the weekends. Then, completely unplanned, Alice fell pregnant. Unsure on what to do and convinced that Dan wasn't father material, she dumped him without a single explanation and didn't tell him that he was going to be a father. Dan continuously tried to see Alice to question her about why she had ended things so abruptly but at every turn she stopped him from seeing her. As the pregnancy progressed, Alice found it more and more difficult to hide her baby bump, and soon people around town were talking about Alice's pregnancy. This word soon travelled back to Dan, who questioned Alice about it. Alice denied that she was pregnant, but Dan didn't believe her. What? Mm. But at this point, it's visible to the other town people. Yeah, like everyone can see that she's pregnant, but she's not physically seeing Dan. Yeah, and she's not admitting it either, yeah, exactly. Strange, but okay. Eventually, though, I guess it got too difficult for her and she did admit that she was pregnant, but she told Dan that the baby was not his. 
Dan didn't believe Alice and he started custody proceedings, instructing a lawyer that he wanted parental rights over the baby when it was born. In April 2012, Alice gave birth to a baby girl and she named her Lily. When Dan found out that he had a baby daughter, he was over the moon, but Alice wouldn't let him see her. Dan was desperate though and drove to the ranch where Alice lived and asked to see his daughter, but Alice was adamant that he wasn't allowed to see Lily. Dan told Alice that he was talking to solicitors and that he was going to get custody. Whether Alice liked it or not, he had a right to be a part of his daughter's life. Alice then went to the police and demanded that they arrest Dan for an assault that had happened the year before. In 2011, the police had been called to the ranch by a worker who had overheard a serious fight occurring inside Alice's home. When the police had arrived, both Alice and Dan had been arrested but no charges were brought against either of them because they both had said that the argument was mutual and they were both to blame. They said they'd just let a silly argument get out of hand and it had inadvertently turned into a physical altercation. The police let them both go and nothing more was investigated into the matter. In 2012, after Lily was born, Alice went back to the police and stated that Dan had assaulted her that night and that she had just said that it was mutual to protect herself from him as he was violent and abusive. She also told the police that Dan was fighting for custody and that she wanted it put on record that Dan had told her that if he ever had a child, he would abuse the child and then blame the abuse on someone else. She claimed that she had believed this claim and that is why she didn't want him to have custody. The police put together this report and the custody hearing was set for April 20th, 2012. This hearing was just the preliminary hearing in which the court would likely determine the paternity of the baby. In hearings like this, the judge wouldn't usually look at any evidence or make any decisions regarding custody. Usually the first step would be to order a paternity test to determine whether Dan Bennett was the father of Alice's baby. Alice was absolutely furious when this court date was set. And as the days slipped away and the hearing got closer and closer, she began to panic that Dan might be granted contact with her daughter. On April 19th, 2012, Frank Bennett, Dan's father, was woken by a loud bang at 11pm. Frank got out of bed and rushed into Dan's bedroom and saw that his son had been shot. He phoned the sheriff's department and told them, quote, Dan's head has been blown off. Oh my God. The officers arrived at the Bennett home and quickly determined that they were investigating a homicide. There was no gun next to Dan's body, so they knew he hadn't taken his own life. The police spoke to Frank, and of course they questioned him, but there was no gun in the home and they didn't think that Frank had murdered his own son. Instead, they asked him if Dan had any enemies. Frank said no, and then he paused and told the officers about the custody battles Dan was having with Alice Trapler. The sheriffs went to Alice's home in the early hours of the morning and she denied any knowledge of what had happened. She told the officers that she didn't like Dan, but she didn't want him dead. She'd been home all night with her baby daughter. There was no way she'd been over to Dan's house to kill him. Oh, she's hired someone. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Sally. <laughs> <laughs> officers at the crime scene recovered a shell casing from a shotgun. They spoke to local stores and asked them if they'd sold any of these shotgun cartridges recently and the local Walmart said that they remembered these cartridges being purchased. It had stuck out to the cashier because that particular kind of shotgun cartridge was usually bought at a different time of year. The cashier said that they were generally used for turkey hunting. Adding to this, the two men who had bought the pack of cartridges had also bought a shovel at the same time. God, people are stupid, aren't they? What do you mean? 
Well, like if if the two men that bought it. Well, I was putting, actually, maybe I don't really know what the shuffle is for. I was going to say it just sounds like they're buying like a murder kit, doesn't it? And that oh, is yeah, quite funny. stupid in itself. Or even if they knew about shooting like and knew about guns to buy them at like a different time of year mm-hmm. in itself sounds like it was quite an obvious thing to do. Um, so it's obviously not very, well, yeah, executed at this point. No, exactly. And also, is is it not like Criminal 101 to like keep your head down, wear a hat and not get caught by CCTV footage? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the officers reviewed the CCTV footage from Walmart from the night before, and sure enough, the video showed two men buying the cartridges and a shovel. These two men were Wes Borden, Alice's ex-husband, and the other man with him was his 24-year-old brother, Nathan Hand. On April 23rd, 2012, the police issued arrest warrants for both Wes Borden and Nathan Hand. The police went to Wes's home to arrest him, However, he wasn't there. Nathan was, though, and so they arrested him. They asked him where Wes was, and Nathan said that he was on the run. What? <laughs> yes. Way to look out for your brother there, buddy. I know. <laughs> oh, he's on the run from serious crime. <laughs> I know. So next, the officers got Wes on the phone and told him to come back to Beaver Dams. They told him that they just wanted to talk about what happened to Dan Bennett. Wes told them that he had done it, he had killed Dan, but that he wasn't coming back. He told them he was on the run, that they'd never find him. He clearly massively underestimated the police and their powers, and they were able to quickly track his GPS location because he hadn't switched his phone off. They saw that he was heading out towards Pennsylvania, and a quick search told them that he had children in Philadelphia. Oh, They called up Philadelphia Police Department and alerted them that they had an arrest warrant out for a man they believed was heading to their jurisdiction. Officers from the Philadelphia Police Department spotted Wes's vehicle and flagged him down. He pulled over and got out of his vehicle. He told officers that his name was Mike Hand. The officers didn't cuff him, even though this is reportedly something they should have done straight away given that he had an arrest warrant out for murder against him. They made Wes place his hands against his vehicle whilst they patted him down. When the officer bent down to pat his ankles, Wes kicked back at the officer, and then he made a run for it. On foot? Yes, so the police started a foot chase, but Wes was much quicker than them. He ran towards a nearby field and ran straight towards a large metal fence. He climbed up the fence and jumped over it, leaving the officers behind him looking on. Despite the fact that he was no longer being pursued, Wes kept running. Oh god, I can't bear it. Up ahead of him, there was a railway track. As a train moved quickly down the tracks, Wes kept running towards it. He then jumped up towards it, with one officer remarking that he had jumped as if he was trying to catch a football. Wes jumped straight at the train and was hit by its full impact, and he was killed instantly. Oh my god. It has never been determined whether he was attempting to get away or whether he was trying to take his own life. It's difficult, isn't it? But it sounds to me like he was possibly was trying to get away. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what the police officers have said. They said the way that he jumped at it was like he was trying to run and jump and grab onto it. Like they described it basically like Jason Bourne. Yeah, like you see in every film ever. That obviously, exactly. yeah, in real life probably wouldn't work so well, but. Yeah, and also, like, he's not going to be thinking straight, is he? Like, he's in, like, a hot pursuit. 
being mm-hmm. chased for like Kwame knows he's guilty of I can 100% imagine in that moment it probably felt like oh my god like here's the answer out of nowhere mm-hmm. and then actually in reality just a really like horrible decision yeah yeah a really a really yeah bad decision really bad decision and so basically the police in Beaver Dams had no idea what to do next Wes was, of course, their prime suspect, and they hadn't had the chance to question him, so they had no idea whether he was the man who had murdered Dan Bennett or not. They had his confession from that phone call where he'd said that he'd done it, but that wasn't enough. Of course, they still had Nathan Hand in custody, and so they questioned him. Whilst they spoke to Nathan, other officers went to Alice Trapler's home to tell her that her ex-husband Wes had died. Alice was devastated. In such a short space of time, she had lost two people who had been close to her. Back at the police station, Nathan was shown the video of him on CCTV purchasing the shotgun cartridges at Walmart. Nathan admitted that he had been a party to the murder, but that he hadn't been the one to pull the trigger. He said that Wes had done it, and Nathan said he'd just been waiting outside as a lookout. How did they get into the house, though? Because, I don't know, it wasn't really touched upon, or at minimum, his dad didn't wake up to, like, anyone break and entering. Mm-hmm. So this kind of comes out of the trial, um, but I will just, might as well just tell you now. Um, the back door was always open, and um, Dan didn't have a bedroom. He slept downstairs on the sofa, so his father had been upstairs in uh... his own bedroom sleeping. And, um, yeah, uh, he Dan had just been downstairs on the sofa asleep. That's terrifying, so he literally just walked in and killed him. Yeah, like, so quickly, yeah. Yeah. So Nathan also told the police that Wes had buried the murder weapon in a park and that he could show the officers exactly where it had been buried if they let him out. This fit with what the police had witnessed on the CCTV footage as they'd seen the men buying a shovel at the same time they'd purchased the cartridges. They took Nathan out in handcuffs, and sure enough, Nathan was able to pinpoint the exact place where Wes had allegedly buried the gun. The police found the shotgun buried a metre or so underground and they took it back to the station to be examined. Nathan was taken back to the police station to stay in custody. The police forensically tested the shotgun and they found that the serial number on the gun had been filed off, therefore they couldn't ascertain who the gun belonged to. The police went back to question Nathan again. They wanted to know where the gun had come from, who it belonged to, and more importantly, what was Wes's motive? Why had he shot Dan at point-blank range with a shotgun in his own home? In terms of conviction here, though, like, I don't know how, to be honest, I don't know how it complicates it with the fact that he's dead. Like, can you still, do you still go ahead with the charge? Or, But, like, to me, it just sounds like they have enough evidence at this point to secure a conviction. Like, had, Against In two. normal times, had he been alive. Against Wes, like, you've got mm. his brother saying he'd done it, you had a confession, you found the weapon... Like, are they investigating at this point to understand the why, or is it because they actually, I feel like they haven't sort of solved the case? Yeah, I think it's more that they think they haven't solved the case, because I think, yes, they have Wes's, well, like, kind of part confession, in which he obviously said on the phone to the police, yeah, I did it. Um, And obviously they do have Nathan um, as a co-conspirator saying, yes, Wes shot him. But I think in order to secure it, they wanted more. They wanted to know who else had been involved in this. Why had Wes shot him? Was there anyone else involved? Um, Yeah. And that kind of comes out like right now in this case. (laughs) So when the police went and questioned Nathan again, he buckled and he said that he would give the officers what they wanted if they would negotiate a plea deal for him. 
Nathan then said that Alice Trapler had been behind the entire murder. She had made her way back into Wes's life and knew that Wes was still in love with her and would do anything for her. She told Wes that she wanted to be with him again, but that Dan was standing in the way of all that. She told him about the upcoming custody battle and she said that they needed Dan out of their lives before she and Wes could be a family again. Alice was brought in for questioning, but she denied everything. The entire investigation became a battle of he said, she said, but the police were certainly leaning more towards Nathan's explanation of events. They believed that Alice had motive to want Dan dead, and the timing of his death just the day before their preliminary custody hearing was not lost on them. Quick question, have they done a DNA test yet? On the gun? No, on the paternity test. Ah, no, they haven't. Okay, seems insane, but carry on. Do you mean like more because that would add to Alice's motive even more? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just wondering, oh, I don't know, like the extent to which, um, you know, like did Wes possibly believe it was his child? Had they been having like sexual relations? Um, oh yeah, I don't know. I think it just would give some context to like what angle Alice could possibly be taking like i know obviously she's saying that like dan's in the way but what's like is she literally just saying this to wes or has she been like really goading him on for a while has she always kept him kind of being strung along do you know what i mean i'm just curious as to to confirm like the child really was dan's i think in most people's minds it was clear that it was dan's and okay as far as I'm aware, actually, thinking about it, I don't think a, pat- a paternity test was ever done, but everyone kind of did think that the baby definitely was Dan's. Yeah. There was no indication that she was sleeping with anyone else at that time uh, before she fell pregnant. I mean, after she was pregnant, she had other relations with other men and that kind of comes out of the trial as well. But I mean, in terms of the paternity of the of the baby, I think that it definitely was Dan's and I think the police... Yeah, that's interesting, actually. I kind of see what you're saying. If they had, like, the concrete evidence, it would definitely lend more towards their theory that she had killed him because she knew that the preliminary yeah. hearing was going to order the paternity test and she didn't want anyone knowing that. Yeah, exactly, and, like, he did have rights. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. It's interesting. It's not something that I'd thought about when I was researching it, but it's a really, really good point. I think the general consensus was that Dan was definitely the father and Alice had got Dan out of the way because she was very worried that the next day uh, they were going to order a paternity test and then within the next few days after that it would be deemed that he was um the father and would get contact with the baby which she obviously didn't want because in her mind he was not good enough for her Uh, there was no way she was going to have a baby with someone who was as lowly as dan he wasn't upper class enough for her or whatever in her mind it was just a fling and now she was kind of attached to him for life yeah The police eventually secured a warrant to seize and search Alice's phone. Every text message had been deleted from her phone, and so the police got a warrant to get the phone records and a transcript of the messages from Alice's phone provider, Verizon. The transcript from Verizon gave the police exactly what they needed, a series of back-and-forth messages between Alice and Wes on the night Dan was murdered. Wes wrote, I wish I knew where he was. I am up here looking for him, and I don't see him any place. I am okay with what we discussed. I'm okay with that now. Alice messaged him saying, he still lives on Pearl Street. Wes responded a while later saying, he is still up watching TV, might be another hour or so. This text message was sent from Pearl Street, the street that Dan lived on with his father. Alice responded to this message saying, we shouldn't text, cell tower traceable. 
obeying this command, Wes did not text Alice again that night until 11.15pm when he sent her a text that read, I am done working. As we know, Dan Bennett was shot just moments after 11pm that night. Throughout this period of texting, Alice's phone showed that she was in her own house the entire time. At 4am on the 20th of April 2012, about five hours after Dan had been murdered, Alice sent Wes a text that said, I wonder if he will show up today, lol. Two hours later, she sent Wes another text saying, state police are here. After reviewing these messages, Alice was arrested and taken into police custody. She asked for a phone call, and the police were shocked to see that she wasn't ringing her lawyer. Instead, she repeatedly rang a man named Brett Bacon. The police went to Brett's home to see what his affiliation with Alice was. They learnt that Brett was another one of Alice's boyfriends. He was quite anxious because he was married and Alice kept ringing him at home and his wife was there. The police told Brett that Alice was calling him from the police station and informed him that she had been arrested in connection with the death of her ex-boyfriend Dan Bennett. Like, it's actually awful, isn't it, that at this point she's calling, like, two men have died as a result of, be it direct or indirect, like, as a result of their relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, she's brazen enough to be in a police station calling a third man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There is a reason for that, though. Because Brett asked how Dan had died, and the officers told him that Dan had been shot in the face with a shotgun. Brett paled at this and looked at the officers. He told them that he'd given his 12-gauge shotgun to Alice just a few weeks ago. He said that he'd given it to her because she'd said that she needed it to protect herself because she had been so scared of Dan and she wanted it for self-defence to protect herself and her daughter. The police asked Brett to accompany them to the station and they showed him the gun that they'd dug up in the park, the one that had the serial number filed off. Brett confirmed that it was the gun he'd given to Alice, but that when he'd given it to her, the serial number had not been filed off. Why would she call him then? She's just drawn more evidence towards herself at this point, hasn't she? Yeah, so uh, it kind of comes out of the trial that she'd also rung her parents to tell them to go round and see Brett to, I think think they said something like, to give him a, a, a calm down visit or something and basically um the prosecution say that that is because she wanted to speak to brett or she wanted her parents to go around and speak to brett um to not connect him to it basically because he was the one who could connect her to the gun yeah i mean so i yeah i get why she did it just pretty stupid oh yeah yeah it's not intelligent at all i mean none of this is like otherwise they possibly wouldn't have found him yeah, they had no idea that he exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. The work of a panicked woman. Mm. Yeah, that's actually very true. So this, of course, was the evidence that the police needed to charge Alice Trapler. The text messages showed that she had orchestrated the murder of Dan Bennett to benefit herself and ensure he didn't gain custody of their daughter. And the gun that was used to kill Dan had been given to Alice and Alice had given it to Wes. Nathan Hand had already accepted a plea deal for manslaughter in which he agreed to a sentence of 19 years behind bars and he agreed to testify against Alice. I know that a man died, but 19 years sounds insane for Nathan Hand's part in this. Yeah, for being just what well, this accessory technically, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think the thing that's weird, isn't it, is like the more of these cases you do, you start to like remember different 
sentences and I know obviously they like are across the world but if you compare mm. it to like last week's like between 13 and yeah. what 16 years in the Gemma Hater mm-hmm. case and I think that was a far more well they were all far more involved in that crime so yeah I do agree 19 sounds a lot and that might just be to say that the others are too low but yeah I agree yeah yeah it's kind of strange really strange um so on the 19th of April 2013 Alice Trapler's trial began The prosecution had a hard job ahead of them. They had very little concrete evidence against Alice. They had to prove that Dan would not be dead but for the actions of Alice Trapler. So without Alice Trapler setting the plan into motion to have him killed, Dan Bennett would still be alive. Alice pleaded her innocence throughout the trial and said that she had nothing to do with Dan's death. Her defence attorney stated that there was no real evidence connecting Alice to the crime. There was only a testimony from Nathan, who hadn't even been in the house when Dan had been shot and there was no proof that Alice had given the gun to Wes. The defence also argued that the cell tower data was wrong and that Wes hadn't been outside Dan's house watching him when he'd sent those text messages to Alice. What? On what grounds? Yeah, and that's the thing. She says this. The um, defence lawyer is like... Yeah, she's rubbish, to be honest. Like, she's just ridiculous. She's quite clearly just in it for the fame. Like, the way that she talks to, like, the TV reporters and stuff like that is quite clear that... Mm. She's only really in it for that. Um, There was no evidence that that showed that the cell tower data was wrong. There wasn't. She just said that it was. It's very bizarre. Yeah, that just seems very extreme claim. Mm Mm-hmm. So the prosecutor showed the jury an image of a box that they said had a file in it. This box had come from Alice's home, and they said the file had been used to file off the serial number on the shotgun. The defence argued that this box had a gift in it for Alice's daughter Lily and that there had been no file in it at all. It's really hard to tell what is the truth regarding this. However, the court record does show that evidence was presented that Alice Trapler had purchased a file at Home Depot around 5pm on April 19th, 2012. Alice Trapler also testified in her own trial. Her testimony lasted about an hour. She told the jury that she met Dan Bennett online and had known him for a week before she started her relationship with him. She said their relationship was very on and off. She testified that one time he had been at her house and they had argued and that this argument had turned physical. She said, quote, I was in a place I no longer wanted to be and couldn't handle on my own. She said that she had called the police that night because she was worried for her safety. She said that she had asked for the guns from Brett Bacon and she asked for them because she was worried for her safety. She said that Wes Borden knew where those guns were in her home and maybe he had stolen them. Brett Bacon also took the stand and admitted to providing Alice with the guns for her safety, admitting that one of those guns had been used as the murder weapon to kill Daniel Bennett. He stated that their, quote, romantic and sexual relationship started in June 2011 when Alice was pregnant. Brett Bacon told the court that Alice had said that Dan was the father of her baby, but she didn't want him to be in her baby's life as he was violent and, quote, wouldn't be a good role model for the baby. He beat Alice up and threw her around, end quote. Brett testified that Alice had asked Brett to sign the birth certificate claiming that he was the father. Brett Bacon didn't sign the birth certificate because he was already married and had children of his own, but he said that he did want Alice to be safe and he did provide her with two guns. First, he gave her a shotgun that he then realised was registered to his wife who didn't know he was having an affair, and so he then bought another shotgun off a friend and gave this one to Alice too. Alice didn't return Brett's wife's shotgun, and it was this gun that was used to kill Daniel Bennett. (gasps) 
Brett Bacon was asked if he was involved in the murder plot, but he strenuously denied any involvement. There was no evidence of any kind, not even a text message, that suggested that he had anything to do with the crime. His only connection to all this was that he had been having an affair with Alice and had provided her with two guns. The district attorney asked Alice why she had ended her relationship with Daniel Bennett and why she hadn't told him she was pregnant. Alice said that she had ended the relationship after a, quote, traumatic incident. This incident was the one we spoke about earlier, where the two had gotten into a physical altercation and the police were called out but both said that they were equally as culpable and therefore no charges or arrests were made. The DA asked Alice why she had continued to sleep with Daniel after this quote-unquote traumatic incident, to which Alice said that she didn't remember ever doing that. The DA asked if he could refresh Alice's memory, to which she responded with, quote, I have a feeling you're going to. The DA said, you bet I am, and then proceeded to read to the court a number of sexually explicit text messages. This, the prosecution argued, showed that Alice had not broken off their relationship due to the physical argument they'd had, and instead said that it proved the prosecution's theory that Alice had only reported that incident to the police after she had found out she was pregnant, as a way to keep Daniel Bennett out of her life. Nathan Hand also testified for the prosecution. He started off by saying that he had actually not known that Wes was going to shoot Dan, and that he was initially under the impression that they were just going there to beat Dan up and teach him a lesson. Nathan Hand testified that Alice had told Wes Borden that Dan slept on the couch, that his back door was always unlocked, and that there was a motion sensor for the alarm on the front porch, which Wes should avoid. Prior to arriving at Daniel Bennett's home, Nathan testified that he had asked Wes what time they were going to go to the house, and Wes said that he wasn't sure and he was just waiting for the go-ahead from Alice. Shortly after this, Alice called Wes and told him that Dan had been fishing and so they'd have to, quote, wait a little. Shortly after this, Nathan said that Wes told him that they were going to kill Dan, and then he showed him the shotgun. Nathan stated that when he and Wes arrived at Dan Bennett's home, they approached from the side of the porch to avoid the alarm on the steps that Alice had warned them about. They opened the unlocked door to find the victim sleeping on the sofa, just as Alice had told them. Wes went in whilst Nathan stood guard, and Nathan heard Wes fire one fatal shot. They quickly left the scene and buried the shotgun in Pinnacle State Park. Alice denied all of this and many objections were made throughout Nathan's testimony on the basis that most of it was hearsay and could not be corroborated by Wes Borden because he was deceased. The objections were overruled and Nathan's testimony was allowed under the co-conspirator exception to the hearsay rule. Under this exception... Any declaration by a conspirator made during the course of and in furtherance of the conspiracy is admissible against a co-conspirator as an exception to the hearsay rule, and therefore his testimony was allowed. They also showed the jury the text messages between Alice and Wes, including the one the morning after Dan's murder and the morning of the family court hearing, in which Alice had texted Wes saying, I wonder if he will show up today, lol. Alice said this text was merely an ironic message regarding the fact that Dan had missed court dates in the past. There was, however, no evidence that Dan had actually ever missed a previous court hearing. Also, sorry, there's just no getting out of that text, is there? No, it's pretty clear-cut, I would say. Yeah, like, there's that's just too extreme to be a coincidence to my mind. Like, mm-hmm. Completely agree. So the prosecution wrapped up their case by playing phone recordings from jail between Alice and her parents. In one of those recordings, Alice could be heard begging her parents to go and visit Brett Bacon. She said, quote, 
I can't stress to you enough how much a calm down visit is needed to that person. It could be my demise if that doesn't happen. God, again. She must have known her calls were being like recorded and traced. It's just so ridiculous, isn't it? And to say mm. stuff like, oh, a calm down visit is needed. It could be my yeah. demise if that doesn't happen. Like, how much clearer are you being about like... Like, well, like the prosecution basically said, it was quite clear that Alice knew that Brett could link her to the murder, um, to the yeah. murder weapon, and that she had instructed her parents to witness tamper, kind of, by putting pressure on Brett to not tell the police or the court. It's insane, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, on the 9th of May 2013, the jury found Alice Trapler guilty of second degree murder, first and second degree oh. burglary, and second degree conspiracy. The court sentenced 41-year-old Alice Trapler to 25 years to life in prison. So uh, that I find that kind of strange. So we must have covered a case like this before, but so she didn't actually physically do anything herself. No. Yet the charges are the same. Like, it's a, I, I don't know why, it just sounds like odd out loud to hear her being charged with burglary when, like, we know she didn't leave her house. Do you know what I mean? No. I, think, I think it's good she's been charged, but I just would have assumed it would be a separate charge, like intent to or arrangement of i don't know why no no i completely agree with you i mean there is obviously so she was convicted of second degree conspiracy which is kind of the charge that i imagine would have been the easiest mm. one to bring against her because she did conspire to like put this plan into action do you know what i mean like it was all her doing yeah i find it yeah, yeah the second degree murder charge i've seen in like several articles that she was she was convicted of two second degree murder charges but i can't find what that's in relation to and i don't know if that's in relation to the fact that wes died as well but i can't imagine that it was um but i don't know what who nobody else died so i don't know who else that could be in relation to Mm, yeah so yeah all the charges are really bizarre um i feel like i've said it quite a few times in episodes and cases that we cover but obviously you do bring as many charges as you can bring under the kind of you kind of think that most of them aren't going to stick so you bring like everything you yeah, can and just see which ones are going to get convicted i don't know if maybe that was what happened here and the jury just found her guilty of all of them um but yeah i agree with you it does seem quite strange mm. so as she was being led out of the court alice's defense attorney turned around and told the waiting media that alice was too smart to have committed this crime she said quote if she was going to murder someone you would still be looking for the body her lawyer said that. Yeah, and this is what I mean by her what? lawyer being just really fame-hungry and just very dramatic and oh, just ridiculous. Yeah, that's not your job. You're not a PR person. Also, I I know we've said it in other cases, but it's just like, why do you think that's an appropriate thing to say? Like, my client's actually too smart to have committed a murder like this. Like, if they were going to murder him, you'd still be looking for the body. Like, what? You're meant to not, you're not yeah, meant to paint what? them as that as a murderer. <laughs> I know, and also like just showing, showing off. Do you know what I mean? Like I know that you're a bloody defence lawyer, um, you know, and that is a lot of the time is good work. But actually, like in this case, like you're not meant to be bragging about like the caliber of your client's murderous intent. That's yeah. not your job. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> no, it's just literally so true. It's so so true. Oh. so uh, she also told it the waiting media that a jury member had apparently told her that they decided the guilt of Alice Trapler based on a text that had not been brought up at court but they'd seen in the court bundle again I don't really buy this I think this is a lie that the defense attorney is telling the media um because I just don't think the jury would actually be talking to her and honestly yeah I just think she 
there was so there was so much conflict of interest regarding her representing Alice Trapler. Um, like I think I read somewhere that she was actually a divorce lawyer. She wasn't a criminal attorney. Um, and there were also rumors of her having a conflict of interest because she'd apparently done some legal work for the Bennett family before. So the biggest right. thing about this case is that there's like always this kind of big question over whether Alice Trapler is guilty or not. Just I think given the fact that most of the evidence against her was circumstantial. I mean, my overriding opinion here yeah, is that she definitely did orchestrate the murder. Um, yeah. And I think as well, there's got to be some question of... Um, to be fair, we don't know the answer to this. There has to be some question of, like, was she an abused woman who was trying to escape a situation and keep her child safe as well? I think, like, without knowing, like, it's unfair to completely rule that out, even though, like, the evidence suggests actually that she was possibly more like the manipulative side. As you've just said, it is circumstantial. There is no fact to prove it either way, given, like, two of the men who probably could have well were implicated unfortunately are both dead yeah and actually that's i'm glad that you've raised that because that is that is a good point and i think i haven't made it like clear enough throughout this um i don't want this to come across that i'm just like oh like she slept with loads of men and she was like a bit of an asshole because she wanted to keep her baby away from dan and dan wanted to see his baby i I don't mean to paint her as that kind of person at all that's not what i'm trying to do all the evidence, though, does point towards the fact that she was incredibly manipulative, that she wasn't abused by Dan, and that she just turned around and sort of cried wolf when she thought that it was going to benefit her. Mm. Yeah, but you can imagine, like, if she is guilty, uh, like, yeah, I was just saying, like, as well as the did she, didn't she orchestrate it, there's also got to be, like, a what was her motive for it as well, which I think, like, clouds and the debate further in a way, doesn't it? Okay, yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. You're, you're basically saying maybe, yes, she did orchestrate this murder, but was it because she was just trying to escape this abusive partner and she didn't want this guy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, no, I totally get yeah. that. I mean, yeah, you're right. And there, is, there isn't any evidence to suggest either way. I mean, everyone in Dan's life um, and previous ex-girlfriends and stuff has said that he definitely wasn't abusive. But I mean, that doesn't mean that he wasn't abusive towards Alice. So yeah, that is an argument that stands. And um, it's not something that was ever really raised at the trial. Her lawyer didn't do a very good job of... Um, presenting that which given the fact that yeah, that's that surely should have been the the defense yeah like oh yeah really if you were a defense lawyer you'd think that'd be what you'd go with wouldn't you yeah and given the fact that it was the main reason that she said that she didn't want her daughter having contact with him yes i think that there should have been more evidence pro- produced by them to to show that he was abusive if that's what he was um but that kind of leads mm. me to believe that it was just a lie concocted by her um, and that yeah again she was just trying to manipulate the situation but yeah i guess we don't know i would say though that she probably does have quite good grounds for appeal alice trapler based on the fact that her lawyer was completely incompetent but um yeah she hasn't done as far as i'm as far as i can tell yeah and if it's like quite a small town as well and there was I don't know, yeah, difficulties of, like, the jury and stuff. Um, like, if it was, like, a smaller place, and from what you said as well, like, there was that initial divide, etc. like, you probably does sound like that you would possibly have some arguments for, like, would she really go on to the right to a fair trial? Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I do agree. But that's it. That is the case of Alice Trapler. Any questions? No, but a different one, isn't it? I think more of a... I don't know, you don't want to... <laughs> Is that your phone that just keeps going off? How professional of you, Sally? <laughs> I 
Um, I think it starts Facebook, but it doesn't have Facebook. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to trivialise it, but actually, in some ways, it kind of almost sounds like a novel, doesn't it? I don't know, with the, like, the really sort of tragic death of Wes as well. Like, I know that he had, he was running away, like, having committed a murder, and I am not for one second, um, like, excusing that, like, it is completely wrong um but actually it's still that said like there's courts and laws and justice systems in place mm-hmm. to put people like away for their crimes mm-hmm. um dying like at the hands of a police chase again not the police's fault but i just mean the circumstances mm. under which he died are tragic actually like he should have gone to court he should have faced trial and it sh- you know justice should have been served in the correct way mm. like i think it is still sad that like he lost his life in the way that he did oh yeah no i completely agree and i think as well as i'm sure you can imagine like the the media went absolutely wild for this story like all the documentaries and stuff that are out Mm. there on it it's just so i mean yeah like over the top dramatic like yeah but it is really as as a story isn't it as a story, it is completely wild. Like, yeah, the series of events, it, it is crazy, it is. Um, but it's sad, I think, because um, in the media, especially, Dan Bennett is like an afterthought in all the documentaries and the research and stuff. It's all just like, oh, like, how crazy yeah. was Alice Traplett? When actually, like, a man died for, for no reason. Like, a man died because he was trying to find his daughter. Yeah, which, again, shouldn't have happened. Like, he was taking all the right steps, regardless mm. of the situation and the background behind it. Like, mm. they were going to trial for someone to decide hopefully in an impartial way like what was right oh yeah in a legal way and, exactly he wasn't just like just yeah, stealing her trying to exactly steal her and it's just it, again it's awful he was robbed of that like that chance as mm-hmm. well no completely agree so that's a wrap for today thank you all very much for listening uh thank you all for your nice reviews we've had quite a few recently and honestly it means the world to read them um if you do want to listen to more of our voices then obviously you can head over to patreon uh but if not we will see you next week for another case goodbye bye